Well, folks, I've lived all 87 years of my life in Texas, so I want you Missouri folks to make me feel welcome by saying howdy. howdy. Really delighted to see you. I'm sorry to have to preach sitting down. I preached for a million years standing up. Now I'm sitting down. If you have me back, I'm going to be on a cot. So we just, what we got to deal with. Title of the message this morning is Why I Love the Local Church. I called Eddie a few weeks ago and I said, how old is High Street? And he said, High Street is 87 years old. And I was just amazed and blessed by that. And then reality hit me. And the reality was, you and I are the same age. <laughs> and then I began to thinking how age has changed me and slowed me down and made my life different. So I thought about preaching this morning on the subject, High Street, don't act your age. That's not where you want to go. I grew up hearing that life begins at 40, maybe so, but I have figured out that life does not really begin at 80. I got a birthday card recently that said, you look great for your age, almost lifelike. It's amazing the things that have happened uh, to me uh, as I get older. I, I mean, I'm at home sitting on the couch and the clock chimes and I go answer the door. And I go upstairs and when I get upstairs, I have no idea why I came upstairs. I go and open the fridge, I have no idea why I opened the fridge. It's just amazing. I heard the other day there's a new senior's GPS. It not only shows you how to get where you want to go, when you get there, it tells you why you came. In the, so I thought that would be a great. And I don't know about you, but I'm at an age now where everything is accompanied by vocal sound effects. When I sit down, I got a grunt or groan. When I stand up, it's the same. When I yawn, I feel like hollering when I get through yawning. Drives Freddie crazy, but just things change. I found out when I drop something on the floor, when I bend over to pick it up, I don't immediately stand back up. I wait a second and say, is there anything else I need to do while I'm down here? Had a friend tell me the other day, he said he asked his wife a night or so ago, he said, honey, did you brush your teeth? And she said, yes, and I brushed yours too. So... <laughs> I'm at the age my happy hour is a nap, but I think old age is a lot easier if some things are true in your life. So I'm going to begin this morning by telling you what's important in my life at this time. First of all, it's important that Jesus Christ is real to me. I became a Christian as 18 years old. I was raised in a preacher's home, went up and joined the church as a little guy, but it was just, that's all I did. I joined the church, and I rode that until I was a freshman in college. Most of the time, deeply under conviction, not really happy. And then one very special night, the first Sunday night of January 1955, I walked down to the front and kneeled down and told a holy God that I was not a holy person, and Jesus Christ changed my life. And that's been well over 60 years ago. I'm telling you this morning that Jesus Christ is still real to me, and I'm grateful. And the second thing I'm thankful for at my age is sitting right down here between Lee and Donna Payne is my wife, Freddie. We've been married 65 years. 
and we're very happy and pleased, and I'm grateful for that. And the third thing I'm thankful for at this age in my life is the local church. So this morning, my message is a love letter to the local church. I wonder, guys, if you've ever thought how important the local church is in the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament, <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the life of Jesus Christ, of course. And then the book of Acts tells about the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the rise of the church, the ministry of Peter, and the, and the conversion and the beginning travels of Paul. But from Acts on, you realize that the majority of your New Testament are books that are written to local churches, just like High Street is a local church, the book of Romans to a church in Rome, the book of First and Second Corinthians to a local church in the great city of Corinth, the book of Ephesians to a local church in Ephesus, the book of Galatians to a local church in Galatia, the book of Colossians to a local church in Colossae, the book of Philippians to a local church in Philippi, and First and Second Thessalonians to a local church in the city of Thessalonica. And then when you get to the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3 are taken up with seven letters to seven local churches. At the closing years of my ministry, I loved the local church. I loved the church I pastored for 36 years. I was saved in that church. I was surrendered to preach in that church. I met Freddie in that church. I spent over 50 years in that church as either a, a member, a staff minister, or a pastor. I retired in 2000 from local pastoring and spent the next over 20 years preaching at a local church just like you somewhere in America almost every Sunday. Most of the friends I have in this world are the result of a local church. I'd have never known Eddie and Cindy. If it weren't for the local church, I'd have never known Lee and Donna and so many of you that I've met. I, I, I'm friends with you because of the local church, and I would be a poor man without the friends that I have. I, with every Christian in this community, was in church every Sunday. If you believe in God, you believe, accept the Bible as the word of God, you believe in Jesus as the son of God, and you understand the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, why don't all Christians go to church regularly? Well, some are backslidden. hate to be crude, but, you know, COVID wiped out a bunch of them that got used to staying home, and they just got backslidden. And some have quit the church because they had a bad experience with someone at church, I understand. The church does have flaws because it's made up of people. So church people can be disagreeable and angry, just like the people in your homeowners association, just like the people at your school board meetings, just at the people in your political world, just as the people at your job, and maybe your neighbor. There are a lot of people in the world that are disagreeable and angered. I pastored all that church. I grew up in the church. I knew everybody in the church, and I knew who all the mad people were. There were mad people. I hate it, but there are people just mad. I don't know what they're mad about. I just know they're mad. 
we could have a great service and I'd be standing over to the side and I'd see one of them coming toward me. I don't know what they're mad about. I know they're mad. They're coming toward me. I start praying for the rapture. God, get me out of here before they ever get to me. I know there are challenges in the church in dealing with people, but I've experienced what the church means in my life and someday I must meet God and God is clear in his attitude on the local church. We're going to hit three scriptures. They're on your screen. <clears throat> Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build... Can you say the next word real loud? What is the next word? My church. I will build my church. When we talk about the church, we're talking about the personal involvement of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my church. High Street is the Lord's church. I pastored so long, people say, where do you go to church to somebody? And they'd say, oh, I go to Jerry's church. And I said, no, you don't. Jerry doesn't have a church. That was Jesus's church. I pastored there all those years. The Sunday I retired, I moved to 200 miles away, 300 miles away the next Sunday. That wasn't my church. That was Jesus's church. This is not Eddie's church. This is Jesus' church. I will build my church. Second verse. In Acts, Paul is talking to, or Luke in writing this, is giving the words of the Lord to pastors. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath, say that word out loud to me, purchased. You see, the Lord has a deep personal involvement in High Street. This church was purchased with his own blood. Here's one more, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The pattern in my life of how I'm to love Freddie Mae is Jesus Christ. I want you to love her the way I love the church. Folks, look, Jesus loves High Street more than you do. If I'm going to love Jesus Christ, I will love what he loves. I talked to a guy one time and said, yeah, Jerry, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And I said, whoa, no, no. I don't think that's possible. Because if you love Jesus, what Jesus loves, you're going to love. What matters to Jesus is going to matter to you. Freddie and I have been married, as I said, 65 years and during that time, I have eaten more Mexican food than any human ought to ever have to eat. I'm talking about stomach pumping, fire in the hole, bowel impacting Mexican food. And do you know why I've eaten all that? Because it matters to her. And when something matters to someone you love, it matters to you. So I love the church. Now I'm going to give you a series of reasons. First of all, I love the church because the church is a family. When I retired after all of those over 50 years at that church, man, I miss the family. I miss being with them in all the aspects of life, the births, the graduations, the marriages, the deaths, the ups, the downs, the sicknesses. I just missed worshiping with the family. I love the family. I read of a, a, a man that he wanted to, the biggest thing he wanted in life is to, 
to come off, to go up in a hot air balloon. And so his family bought one for his birthday, and it was on a Saturday. And all the family, his wife and everyone was there, and he went up in the hot balloon, and something terrible happened, and his wife and children saw him plummet to his death. That was a Saturday. She said this, we went to church that Sunday morning. I think anyone would have understood if we had not gone. It was only 24 hours since we had witnessed my husband's death, but we longed to go. We wanted to be with those who knew us best and who best understood our grief. Everyone who knew us understood our grief, but only those who knew Jesus understood our joy. That morning, we sat among friends and cried and sang and worshiped together. I would not have wanted to go anywhere else. It's an incredible story. Just a few days ago, this young couple had a little boy. He was four, lived next door to an older couple, and the wife died. And one morning, the man came out and sat on the porch, and she saw her little boy walk across the lawns, up the steps, up where the man was, and crawled up in his lap. And he stayed there a long time. And when he came back home, his mother said, what did y'all talk about? And he said, oh, we didn't talk. I just helped him cry. I just helped him cry. I love the local church. I love the church not only because it's a family, it's a schoolroom. When God saved me as an 18-year-old young man, he was preparing me for a mission in life. And I believe God did not save me to go through like, like one of his misguided missiles. So Sunday school, Bible study, small groups, and preaching hour are all a part of my course of study for the rest of my life. I'm in training for Christian discipleship, and every week is important. The church is a schoolroom. Third, the church is a team meeting. And Jesus Christ saved me and called me to be a part of his team. And I don't want to be absent. If Jesus is here, as he said he would be, I would not be much of a team member if I'm not here. And the church is the only place his team meets. This local church is the place where you that are a part of this church, this is where you meet. And I not only want to be on the team, I want to be in the game. Now, I don't know for sure, but I think all of you people in this crowd are big fans of the Dallas Cowboys. Am I right? It's the locker room on a Sunday before a game. And somebody says, where's Dak Prescott, quarterback? Where's Dak? And they said, oh, Dak's not going to be here. He called in. He got intrigued with a movie last night, and he watched it. It was after midnight, and he overslept this morning. Dak's not going to be here because he overslept. Well, where is Zach Martin? Well, Zach Martin's not coming either. Somebody hurt his feelings last week at the game, so he's not coming this week. Well, where is C.D. Lamb, the tight end, the wide receiver? Well, C.D. said his mama had planned a big dinner today, a Sunday dinner for the family, and his mama made him go. Well, where's Micah Parsons, the linebacker? Well, Micah said he played last week. He didn't think he had to play every week. 
Well, we laugh about all that, but I've heard all of those excuses about why people are not in church. Nope. This is his team. And when the team meets, you need to be there. You can't be a member of the NFL if you don't join a team. You could say, Dak, what are your team? He said, I'm on the NFL team. No, he wouldn't say that. He'd say, I'm on the Dallas Cowboys team. And that's the reason you ought to join the church. That's the reason you are a part, need to be a part of the church because it makes you a part of the team. Then fourth, I love the church because it's a court hearing. There are things I've done wrong this week and the Lord knows it. Sometimes he tells the preacher about it before we get to church. Did you ever notice that? The young marriage used to drive me crazy at home. After a service, one of those young married guys would sidle up with them good West Texas boys and say, preachers, my wife been talking to you? And I'd say, no, why? Well, everything you preached about this morning, she's been on my tail about those things. I just thought she had talked to you about it. No, the church is a court hearing and there's things I've done wrong. And when I come to the house of God, it gives the Lord a chance to straighten me out. Fifth, the church is a billboard. When Freddie and I, when we're at home, get dressed on Sunday morning, all of our neighbors in our little community are not in church, but when they see Freddie and Jerry drive down, that's a billboard. I'm saying to them, Sunday's the day I go to church. Sunday's the day I worship God. You're not going to see me out mowing the yard or watering the grass. No, Sunday is the Lord's day. We go to church because it's a billboard. Sixth, the church <coughs> is a memorial service. When I come on Sunday, I'm reminded again the reason I'm saved. I'm reminded that Jesus died for me. And I remember the cross when I worship. When I come to the church, somewhere in the music, somewhere in the message, they're going to take me to Calvary. They're going to take me to the place where Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I need to go there. I need to remember again all that the Lord has done for me. The cross of Jesus is not just something we put on the front of our churches. It's not just bling we wear as jewelry. The cross of Jesus Christ is the very foundation of our faith. <clears throat> the apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said again, we preach Christ crucified. I come to church because when I go to church, I'm brought again to the place where Jesus died for me, and I don't want to get very far from that place. My dad wasn't raised in church, and he was 26 years old when he got saved. He was a roustabout out in the oil patch, and he and mom got married. They didn't even have a Bible. Neither one were in church. Neither one had been raised in church. But just before I was born, my daddy got out beside his bed. His mama was a Christian and had told him about the Lord, and he got out, maybe because he was about to be a daddy. And he got on his knees beside the bed and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he told the guys at the on the rig, the oil rig, that he'd been saved. And one of the guys, he said, you know, I'm sorry, I don't even have a Bible. And one of the guys gave him a little New Testament. 
And when dad was in his 80s, Freddie and I had taken he and mom through the Canadian Rockies over to Vancouver and Victoria. I wanted my mom to see the Bouchard Gardens. And we're riding along and my dad's talking to me. And I looked over and tears rolling down his cheeks. He said, son, you know when I got saved, I didn't even have a Bible. One of the guys on the rig gave me a Bible, a little New Testament. And he said, before I got saved, when the rig shut down for a little period of time, I would gamble with the guys, but I didn't think that was right. So when the rig shut, I went over and sat on an oil barrel, and he said, I'd read the Word of God. And I looked at my dad, tears rolling down his cheeks, and he said, you know something, son? I couldn't read the crucifixion of Jesus Christ without crying. I'd read how the Lord died for me, and I would cry, and I would cry. And that meant so much to me, because that's where I want to be. Where the cross moves everything I am. See, I grew up, many of you did, singing Fanny Crosby's song, Jesus keep me near the cross. They're a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream that flows from Calvary's mountain. You grew up singing Isaac Watts' great song, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. And when your church has communion, that's not a casual occasion. You take the bread and when you crush it, you remember Jesus was crushed for you. And when you drink the juice, you remember Jesus shed his blood for you. The church is a memorial service. And seventh, the church is a victory celebration. Resurrection is on Sunday. You sang about it so well this morning, the resurrection. So that day is a celebration of life after death. That's the reason we have worship on Sunday. Again, may I use my dad? When my dad died, I was sitting beside him. And I was holding his hand. And man, I didn't want to, I don't mean to get sappy on you, but I didn't want my daddy to die. And I was holding his hand saying, Dad, hang on. Hang on, Dad. Don't give up. Hang on. Some of you have been there, probably most of you have been there when someone you loved. But Dad died with me holding his hand. But you know something? I had peace. I had peace because Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. <clears throat> and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. <clears throat> and the Lord asked, do you believe this? <clears throat> and I say, yes, I believe that. And I ask you this morning, do you believe that? That Jesus Christ died and rose again. I read of a little boy named Kenny. The story was told by Bruce Thielman, who was pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh and a great preacher. And this little boy, Kenny, came down with leukemia and he got weak and he got weaker and then he couldn't go to school and then he couldn't even go in the yard and play and then he couldn't even get out of a bed and he had a great Christian mom and dad and she was sitting beside him and he looked up at his mama and he said, Mama, what's it like to die? And she said, it so overwhelmed me. I said, excuse me, Kenny. And she said, I went in the next room, a little bathroom, and cried until I could cry no more. 
And then I washed my face and went back and sat down with my son and said, Kenny, you ask me what it's like to die. <laughs> Do you remember, Kenny, when you were a little boy and you'd be playing in your daddy and I's room and you'd crawl up on our bed when you got tired and went to sleep? And then the next morning when you woke up, you were in your own bed in your own room. You remember that, Kenny? She said, do you know how that happened? When you went to sleep, your father, with loving arms, picked you up and carried you quietly down the halls of a home and put your own bed in your own room in the father's house. And his mother said, Kenny smiled because he understood and she said, in a few days, the angels of God took that boy and carried him from that little hospital bed to his own bed in his own room in the father's house. And I had peace because when my dad breathed his life last, I knew the angels took him to his own bed in his own room in the father's house. And there he is waiting on us. I must hurry. Let me just give you a couple more points. I love the church because it lets me invest in eternity. Look, your church, especially in schools in, you have all of these students here, and you got, your church is getting larger, and you got all these kids running around, and you can say, but they're noisy, and their music's fast, and, and they're not exactly, no, 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 I know, I know. But you never know what God's going to do with one of these little kids or one of these teenagers. You never know. Rick Blue came to Odessa running from the law. He was a thug. He was a car thief. <coughs> and he met a, <coughs> a young girl there that was a part of our church. And he asked her to date him. And she said, no, I won't date you, but I'll sit with you in church. And the first time Rick came to church, he got saved. And pastored 30 years, what still is the largest church in Greenville, Texas, pastored by his son. But he was just a kid. We had no idea what, what God was going to do with him. Uh, Jack Agar came to our church when his Odessa High School swim team came to church and Jack got saved. I didn't know one day he would be the president and CEO of Awana. Charlie Ross rode the bus to church and rode a bicycle to church. I didn't know when he was running around the church that one day he would spend over 40 years in the Asian nations. What I'm saying is the church, when you give, when you come, when you support the church, it lets you invest in eternity. Now let me take a few moments <clears throat> and give you one last thought. Because I'm at High Street, I want to tell you why I love this church. I said on Facebook last week, you took me in when I was an 18-year-old boy that came to Baptist Bible College in a 1947 Maroon Ford. I'd been saved less than a year, and I went and joined the High Street Baptist Church, <clears throat> and you welcomed me. <clears throat> and I joined your choir as I said I sang a very high bass but I sang in the bass of the choir Earl Smith was leading singing <clears throat> I asked Max <coughs> I'm sorry to be choked up I asked Max Hawkins <clears throat> for a Sunday school class and he gave me a class of nine year old boys I sang in a young men's teen quartet <clears throat> High Street Baptist Church changed my life. I came from a rather small church. I didn't know what it was like for a church to be packed Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I didn't know what it was like to have that kind of music, but I came to High Street, <coughs> and I've told Eddie this many times, High Street 
put something in me that when I began to be pastoring in Odessa, we built a church that was filled Sunday morning, Sunday night, and made a great impact. I love this church because you've never dipped your colors. What you were preaching then, you're preaching now. Our American culture has dipped their colors. So many in governmental power, legal system, educational system, most of the entertainment world are skeptical and many times hostile toward the reality of the God of the Bible, toward the death of his son, Jesus Christ, toward biblical faith and biblical morality. And sometimes blatantly so. <laughs> at a march, I saw a young man that had a sign that said, if Jesus comes back, we will kill him again. At a ladies' march, I said a girl, I saw a young lady sign that was talking about the Virgin Mary. I wish Mary had aborted her baby. We're in a different world. But you've never dipped your colors. What you believe then about Jesus Christ and his word has been honored for years by this pulpit and still is. And I want to give you another point. I love this church because I love your pastors. I love Eddie. I love so many. I'm, I'm, I'm not that well acquainted with a lot of your guys. That, but through, I love the pastors of this church. And could I beg you this morning, I've preached a long time for churches all over this country. You have such a great pastor, such a godly man, such a godly family. Don't take your pastor for granted. Don't have the idea that all there is to being a pastor is to be up here for 30, 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. His job is 24-7. I hope you have a job that when you leave your job in the evening, you don't have to take your job home with you. He takes his job home every night. The phone rang in my home all during the night. I was also police chaplain the last eight years I was there. And if somebody in the Cirque didn't have deep problems, it was somebody that had a death notification I needed to give. I just want you to realize the pressure that a pastor works on. I told Eddie yesterday, there's death and sickness and marriage problems and critics. Critics who sit on the sidelines and say, you're not doing it like I want you to do it. Come on. This man's dealing with emotional horrors. Do you know what it's like what I had to do one time standing with a husband and wife? Their son was in a wreck. That night, with his, he had surrendered to preach the gospel with his girlfriend. And after church, they were on their way to a teen activity. And a car hit them and killed them both. And I'm standing outside the funeral home waiting on the ambulance to get there. With my arm around a daddy who said to me, Preacher, would it be wrong if I prayed that with somebody else's son? And that was so profound I couldn't. But I was dealing with those things all the time. When I was a kid preacher, I took a church of 40 people with a $9 offering. And Freddie and I moved to El Paso and spent three and a half years. And we went from 40 to over 400 and built three buildings. The church was great. But do you know when I got started, when I was working hard and winning people, one service, one day after service, an old boy in the church put his finger in my nose and said, you know what's wrong with you? And I said, probably not, but I think you're going to tell me. He said, you're right. You preach too much evangelism, you need to feed the sheep. And he cut the legs out for Monday. I'll tell you what helped me in Odessa. I had a man just like some of you that would come up to me on Sunday morning and say, is anybody bothering you, preacher? 
I don't want anybody to bother you, man. I love you. I appreciate what you're doing. I don't want anybody. He was a, he was a typical West Texas. He was a leading chiropractic doctor there in town. He even walked up one Sunday morning and said, you need anybody killed? He said, you know, I'm packing. I said, no, doc, I don't need anybody killed. But you know what meant to me? I tell you, people in this church, you need to be walking up to Eddie and say, how you doing, pastor? Anybody bothering you? I want you to know I love you. Give me another minute. I know I'm a couple minutes over. I told Eddie, give me five extra. Folks, I read of a guy who was a farmer who raised chickens in the bottom land, and every year they had a big flood and drowned all his chickens. And he'd plant more chickens and get them drowned, and he was crying to somebody about it. I raise these chickens and they all drown. What am I going to do? And the guy said, why don't you raise ducks? Well, let me tell you something about the church. I grew up in an era when I started preaching, we were in a chicken world. But we're no longer in a chicken world, you're in a duck world. And Eddie and his people that are leading you will either be risk takers, because you're not gonna reach this generation unless you take risk, or you will be a caretaker or you will be an undertaker. A risk taker, a caretaker, or an undertaker. And you're taking risk, and that's the reason greatness is still being written in this church. And now I come to the close. I'm going to give an invitation. Sometimes I wish we had Catholic structures. Have you ever noticed in a Catholic church, they've got a little bench that comes down and everybody can kneel and pray it together. We don't have that here. But I'm going to ask you who love the church and love your priester. We're just, in a moment, we're going to stand and sing a verse of song. I wonder how many would just come quietly. If you're able to kneel, kneel. If you can't, stand at the front. Just as a, and just say in your heart, God, thank you for the church. Thank you for Eddie and the leader. God, thank you for saving me. Just, we don't do that enough. We don't just come and stand in his presence and say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. And I want you to ask you a question. Where would America be without the church? And the second question, where would you be without the church? Let's stand together with heads bowed.